Hey coconuts, do you remember the days when there was only 11-11? Now there's 1-1-2-2-3-3-4-4. There is some sort of advertisement and some sort of sale going on every single month. And like it or not, I think many of us fall into impulse purchases. And beyond all these small little little things, I do think a lot of people fall into impulse buying for like financial products or stocks or property. All those things are some form of impulse purchases. And I'm going to define for you slightly later. But the core idea is there are many people sharing with you ideas of how to curb your impulse purchases by managing that impulse. But they don't really eradicate the fundamentals. So I think I have some things to share that may be pretty helpful for most of us to fundamentally eliminate impulse purchases, okay, without a lot of willpower involved. So yes, welcome back. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. So good morning, everyone. I welcome you to another day with the Financial Coconut. In our podcast, we're debunking financial myths, discovering best financial practices, and discussing financial strategies that fits our unique life. You get it. Ultimately, empower us to create life we love while managing our finances well. And today, we're going to spend some time to focus on how can we possibly eliminate impulse purchases without the use of active willpower, okay? I think there is a way, right? Yeah. Okay, so I think many people have their own experience with impulse purchases and probably have their own definition of what is an impulse purchase, right? A lot of people will substantiate, say, this is not impulse purchase, nah. I thought about it for very long. And like it or not, there, there may be some basis to that and we can talk about it as we go along. But for everyone else that's trying to manage their impulse purchases, I think what is out there on the internet is a lot of very surface solutions, right? It's essentially, it's like setting card limit or having multiple bank account or meditating on your impulse, you know, like if you see these things, oh, when they're on sale and then the sale is like two weeks down, right? Then, okay, you go back and think about it for a week and then you decide if it's what you actually want. And if you actually look at all of these things, right? They all require willpower and they're all just trying to manage the impulse. So it is an endless cycle. You keep coming back to this thing and every time it is challenging you. But you're not actually solving things at the core. Why does this impulse exist? Is there a way to eradicate it altogether? And in my view, there is. Because for a very long time, I have very, very little impulse spending. You know, like almost nothing. Maybe the only thing is stock market, a bit of FOMO when sometimes I see certain companies that I want. But, no, but for many other things, in fact, for all other things, I realize that I no longer feel a need to buy. I don't, I don't feel a trigger to spend. Okay, that means I don't feel the impulse spending situation anymore. Okay, okay, that does not mean that I don't spend money. Huh? It's just that when I buy things or when I spend or when I do any kind of purchases, you know, whether is it buying things, invest and whatnot, it is generally very logical and I just feel this joy in getting it, but I do not feel that emotional roller coaster. Oh, do I want it? Actually, I want it. No. But I don't know. Like, I, um, I, I, I don't have that kind of thing, right? And I think that is a pretty good place to be in um, and... For many of you that want to be here, uh, impulse purchases is a classification of all of that. All that emotional roller coaster is what impulse spending is about. And I'm going to 
take this time to define impulse spending, okay? From an objective standpoint, so that we can continue our discussion. So to me, impulse spending is defined as spending primarily triggered by emotions. That means, right, it is a very few-few thing. Like you, suddenly you feel like you want to buy this thing or something triggers you emotionally and you'll be like, yeah, 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 maybe I want it, you know? So you feel this emotional roller coaster before deciding whether you want it. So you're going through this process. And to me, generally, in an emotional roller coaster, decision tend not to be the best. Lah. So it ends up becoming you know, something that you may not want it or, you know, it's just bought and chucked somewhere or something, right? So to me, impulse buying is fundamentally triggered by emotions and yeah, we can solve that. So my base case when I look at how people spend money or how I spend money is that we all have these things that we call money stories. Someone out there in the big white world of the internet already came out with this term, so I'm going to use it, right? So money stories are essentially ideas, beliefs, and narratives in our heads that inform how we spend our money, okay? So it comes from everywhere, right? From, it comes from your family, it comes from society, it comes from media, your friends. Well, what have you not even at work, etc, etc, right? So, there are all sorts of uh, money stories out there and some of them will be like cheap and good. Nah. I'm sure Singaporeans know this thing, cheap and good. Okay. <laughs> cheap. Okay, anyway, anyway, yes. So, cheap and good, okay? But when you ask the people, right, do they actually have a definition for what is considered cheap? Like, is it a mean relative to everyone else? You know, the mean of the market is below, so it's considered cheap. How do you define as good? Like, what is considered good? Right? So when you ask people, do they have some definition for cheap and good or at least some frameworks to try to understand what is actually cheap and good? If they don't, then they have a half-baked money story. So there is a problem here, right? The money story not complete. Huh? And, and to me, half-baked money stories are the problems. It causes all these emotional kinks. We can talk about that later. Another example of a very, very common money story is I can pay a little bit more for convenience. Right, so premium for convenience. It is a reality. You go to the supermarket, it is much cheaper, but people go 7-Eleven. Near ma, convenient ma. Right, so, so <laughs> that's the idea. So there is some sort of premium that people pay for convenience and it is a money story in some people's head. Okay, but when you ask them what is the okay premium to pay for and you know what is uh, considered convenient, all that stuff, maybe they don't exactly have a proper idea. They don't have like a frame to it. So that is a half-baked money story. And today I'm not trying to like critique your money story or trying to like say what money story is better than the other money story. No. The only way to really have some objective discussion about which money story is more suitable, it's really based on your goals and your way of life. If you want to achieve a particular way of life or you want to achieve a particular goal, there are certain money stories that will give you an advantage towards achieving that goal. But if there is no framing about what is that goal that you want, then there is no superior money story. Okay, so we're not here to discuss which money story is better. But recognize that behind all your purchases, there is a money story. Okay, things like everybody must have a home. Ah, you must have a home, ah, you must have a shelter, cover your head. This is a money story. Actually, if you think about it, do you really need it? What is it for? Big question mark, okay? So based on that idea of money story, People have impulse spending when the money story is half-baked. That means they don't exactly know what is going on. In other words, somewhere, somehow, somewhat, they have gathered all these money stories when they're growing up or when they're you know, exploring life and they are not fully understood. 
there are all these little, little things that are around, you know, and people just kind of pick it up. Honestly, it's very hard to process all this information every day. Nobody sits down and think about this all the time. But if you think about it, if you have a lot of impulse purchases, that means you have a lot of information unprocessed. You have a lot of half-baked money stories. And when we bring it back to the cheap and good money story, which a lot of people have in their head and it's half-baked, okay? When you ask them what is considered cheap, they, they don't have a framework for it. What is considered good, they don't really have an idea also. But they will buy, buy, they buy a lot of things because it's cheap and good, sale, 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 a lot of sale. I'm sure sometimes we fall into that or maybe last time we fall into that or we have friends that fall into that whole cheap and good sales cycle and they keep buying all these things. Then when you bring it back, you sit down and ask yourself, eh? Actually, do I need this? Huh? I'll just sell law, then I buy law. Maybe in the future, I need like if. Uh, if. <laughs> so following that thought process of half-baked money stories leading to impulse purchases and to fundamentally eradicate impulse purchases, you have to fully bake your money stories. The very first point that you need to do is to recognize them. Like recognize your half-baked money stories. And you do that in the process of recognizing your emotional triggers. When you get emotional, that means there is a problem here. So I think this point is pretty inevitable. Huh? If you want to solve anything, you must first recognize that it exists. But why do I put this as the first point on top of that inevitability is that like I said in the very opening, when people feel the impulse, they manage the impulse. They put all their bandwidth and all their mental capacity to try to manage this impulse. Or don't invest, don't anyhow invest, or don't anyhow buy. You know, it's very tiring and we have limited bandwidth, we have limited willpower. Okay, I think willpower is something that uh, more and more discussion out there, so I'm going to use the word. We have limited willpower. And because of limited willpower, if you spend all your energy trying to manage the impulse, you may not have the energy to try to find out why this impulse exists. So what I want you to do, instead of putting all the energy to manage the impulse, work with it, sit with it and ask yourself, actually, why do I really want this thing? Right, so put all your energy into finding out more about this impulse. Talk to it. Lah, okay? You can talk to it. There are many ways. You can meditate on it. You can talk to it. I think journaling is one of the best. Okay, So I sit down. Every time I feel this impulse, I'll write down. Okay, or I'm feeling this impulse to buy this, this, this. Um, why? You know, uh, Maybe because I think it's an opportunity I don't want to miss or etc, etc, etc. Right. So there is no clear-cut, straightforward strategy for this. But spotting the pattern is one of a very good way to go about doing this. So what you can do is every time you feel the emotion, you put all your bandwidth into trying to write down. Very likely, the first few times, you may not see a pattern. But after a few times, you will start to see the pattern. Like, why do I feel like I need to get this thing? What is the money story that's half-baked here? Okay, so... Do that process. Keep writing it down a few times, a few times. Of course, during these few times, you may fail to control that impulse. You may end up buying the thing, which is also fine because if you buy it, then you also learn in the process that like, maybe I don't really want it, etc., etc. So it's a process. But what I'm trying to get you to do is to observe that problem, write it down, and over time, you get a little bit clearer what is the pattern here. You try to figure out, you know, what is this problem? So let me share with you... Um, a story of mine, okay? So I think a lot of the impulse that I've worked through, I cannot really remember all of them, but the latest, the last one that I worked with was this impulse to try to buy the stocks that my good friends are talking about, okay? The, <laughs> the reality is... A lot of my friends, you know, they're doing very well in the stock market and they're doing very well financially, definitely way above me. And when they talk about a particular thing, I price a premium into what they say. 
Ah, interesting. And I didn't realize that until I started sitting down and asked myself, why every time they say something, I feel like I FOMO, I should buy the stock. <laughs> but then after I buy it, then I realized maybe this is not what I want. Maybe you know it does not fit my palette. Or maybe I don't understand this company enough to really buy it, right? So I usually will do a process of studying before I get it. But there are these few friends that once they say it, I will discount my study and go and buy it. Right? So this is a pattern that I've observed. And I, over time, realized that it's a summation of two stories. One is I trust my friends that are performing very, very well. So I trust them, right? I trust them to a point where I can deduct my own abilities. That means I think I'm lousier than them. So if they say, right, that means it must be good. Okay, so this is one story. The other story is for a period of time, I felt that more money is going to solve all my problems. That means I'm stuck in my life and I just need more money to get it done. So these two stories put together <laughs> created this mammoth of FOMO where I am just willing to buy a particular stock without trying to understand what's going on just because a very good friend that's doing very well told me that this is a good stock. So that is impulse purchase. And sometimes it's not so easy because there are like multi-stories put together, multiple stories put together to create some of these kind of reactions and create some sort of these kind of half-baked money stories out there. So you know, composite, even more complex. And this brings me to point number two, and that is to investigate your half-baked money story. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about this after a word from our sponsor. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All these money stories, they come from somewhere. Whether or not they are fully baked or half-baked, they all come from somewhere. And um, they tend to come from your family more often than not, right? So 80 to 90% of your stories, your beliefs, your ideas, your behaviours, they do come from your family. Um, I know there's this whole other part about performing you know, inverse to what your family does. That means if your family spend a lot, right, then you take the other position, you don't spend. Okay, so that is also um, a way to react to how they do it because you don't agree with their way of life and then you take on the other side, you don't spend, which is what I did for a period of time. Uh, that does not mean that I fully bake the story, it's still half-baked. I just take the other side rather than following their way of life. Uh, but this is a story for another day. The main idea is still that these money stories are half-baked and that's why you're feeling the impulse. So what you need to do is go and investigate. And what's the best way to investigate? Talk to your parents, no? Ask them, hey, why like that? You know, when people tell you to do a certain thing, um, when it comes to money, or when it comes to any other aspect of life, but just for today, we focus on money, right? So they tell you, must save, 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 okay? Standard money story, save, save, save. Uh, you make money, you must start saving. Have you bothered asking them why? When you ask them why, you will get a much clearer idea why they tell you that. It tends to be that they will tell you this half-baked grandmother story. Oh, you know last time, uh, my friend, uh, wah, 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 wah. oh, you know last time we were very poor. Uh, wah, 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 wah. But it's not a very logical one. Okay, It's very emotional and it's perfectly okay that it's emotional. Okay, I'm not saying, I'm not discounting their experience. I'm not discounting that they're emotional. But I'm just 
recognizing that they're emotional, which means their story is half-baked also. They don't have logic framework to fully complete their money story. So if that's the case, you will end up taking on a half-baked money story because that is where it comes from. Huh? When you go and investigate your source of where do all these stories come from, you will start to realize that a lot of them are half-baked. And that's why a lot of people have big impulse spending reactions. Another very um, half-baked story that's very prevalent out there is this fear of bankruptcy. A lot of people tell me, what if later I bankrupt? I'm like, do you even understand what is bankruptcy? Bankruptcy is a legal protection mechanism that after you have leveraged up and taken on all these loans and you fail your venture and you go crazy and wild, right? That the bank cannot totally you know, remove everything from you. There is a protection process, liquidation process, so that you don't get attacked, in other words, right? So bankruptcy is actually a protection mechanism. But for many people, they don't understand what is this thing it is just a very emotional narrative story because last time, uh, you know, my neighbor, uh, oh, money, pay money, uh, draw very big uh, outside the lift. <laughs> so, I, once again, I'm not discounting their experience. I'm not laughing at their story. I'm not discounting, you know, that whole emotional ride that they go through. But I want you to recognize that a lot of people only have emotional rights. They are all holding on to half-baked money stories. They don't have a framework to understand what is bankruptcy. They don't understand investments. They don't understand risk. They don't understand how to make decisions. They don't have their own metrics. Everything is feel-feel and all based on stories. And I'm not even saying that you must have logic in everything. But if you want to fundamentally eradicate impulse spending, which is a topic for today, then you have to add logic frameworks to fully bake all these stories. That is the base idea. So go and investigate all these half-baked money stories. Go and ask your friends, ask your family, ask your partner, ask your boss, ask your HR manager, like, why do we need to do this, right? Why is safe, safe, safe? Why do we need to invest for the future? Why, 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 right? So you can ask them all these things. We're not trying to judge whether the story is good or not, you know, because like I said, there's no objective, there's no better strategy. But what you're really trying to do is to do one thing only, to try to recognize... Is there actually a logic behind all these money stories in your head? And based on the source, right? So if the source of all these half-baked money stories actually have a full-baked logic behind it, you can consider adopting that logic, which is great, right? You now have a framework to work with. If the source is also very emotional and have half-baked money stories, then you really got to question, why do I need to do this? And that brings me to point number three. And that is to update the money stories, recognize whether it works for you. Truth is, it is a process to try to go through this whole thing. You will not do it in one episode, two episodes. You know, it does not work that way. It may take a few years sir, to process all these backlog half-baked stories. But what you can actually do is you can choose to forego these half-baked stories or put them in a consideration box. That means this logic or this money story does not have a logic yet. I can put it one side. And that is very powerful also because to process all these things, it takes time. And if you want to curb your impulse spending immediately, what you can really do is to first say that, okay, this is not my story. This is not what I believe in. Like hanging out with the Joneses, right? That is one classic, you know, uh, half-baked money story out there. It's like, I don't hang out with my friends, ma. So when I hang out with my friends, I can spend more and all that stuff, right? So, so that you realize that a lot of people do that. When they hang out with their friends, they feel this like 
the wallets can open up, can just relax and just do everything. Right? So that is a half-baked money story there because a lot of people, they cannot tell you exactly why they do that. Right? You know, there's no clear logic behind it. That's the idea. So once you realize that these things are half-baked money stories, they are not complete, you can actually choose to put them in the consideration box. You can choose to put them aside first. This is actually a very powerful psychology technique. A lot of psychologists will tell their client to do that, to recognize what is theirs and what is not theirs, right? And what is the things that they're not sure whether is it theirs or not yet. So I like to adopt that kind of strategy into my own life because I think psychology is a pretty cool subject, right? There are a lot of uh, strategies and a lot of things. As you understand yourself, as you understand your head, understand your mind, it actually, you know, can use it in personal finance quite extensively. It's very powerful. So when I recognize that power, I start to see that, yeah, actually I can do that. I can recognize what are fully big money stories in me, what are the half-baked money stories that I don't have an answer yet? And what are the half-baked stories that after I realize they are half-baked, I actually don't want them. So I can decide what I don't want, I can throw them aside. I can decide what is not clear yet, I put them in another box. And I can embrace what I already know. Right? So, so that is the idea. That does not mean that you stop processing all these things that are half-baked. But once you can psychologically or mentally recognize this, you have some sort of mental framework in your head, then the impulse will reduce by a lot, okay? I don't know how to tell you exactly why the human mind works this way, but it's very powerful once you recognize that these half-baked money stories are creating all this impulse spending and all these half-baked stories are not what I actually believe in, then, okay, you update your system. Say that, okay, this is not mine. I put it aside. Of course, we can go on and on and on, talk about caveat strategies and all that stuff. But the base idea here for today is that we all have money stories in our head. And all these money stories inform the way we spend, informs our purchases. And some of these money stories are half-baked. They have no logic behind these things. It's just a few-few kind of thing. And when there's no logic behind all these half-baked money stories, it creates impulse purchases which are fundamentally driven by emotions. That is the whole idea here today. And to fundamentally eradicate your impulse purchases, you have to essentially either work on the half-baked money stories to make it fully baked with logic framework, or you can decide that these half-baked money stories are not my money stories. I put them aside. And then you realize that, eh, maybe I don't really fall into this impulse trap anymore. And, th and that is my experience. So I want you to go and try it. Let me know if it works, right? So that would be amazing if it works for more than just myself. So following that logic, I'm going to sum up today on how to eliminate impulse spending without a lot of willpower. Number one is to recognize your money stories and you do that through recognizing your emotional triggers. When you feel emotional, it tends to be that there is a half-baked money stories here. So recognize what is fully baked with logic, what is half-baked, okay? Number two is investigate all these half-baked money stories. Go and talk to the source and the source tends to be your parents. About 80 to 90% of your money stories come from your parents. So go ahead ask them, hey, why like that? Nah? Why like that? Why like that? Okay, a lot of media participation also. So yeah, go and check it out and try to find out all these uh, half-baked stories that exist. Investigate the source. If they have the answer, hey, you gather some sort of logic framework for it. If they don't have an answer, you recognize that even they are taking out half-baked money stories. And number three is then decide whether or not these half-baked stories are for you if they're not, put them aside. If you think that there's something here, work on the logic framework for it. Ultimately, when you can attach logic framework and fully bake all these money stories, 
then you realise that you no longer are being trapped by impulse spending. So yes, I hope you learned something useful today. See ya! Hey, I hope you learned something useful today and truly appreciate that you took time off to better your life with the financial coconut. Knowledge is that much more powerful, interesting when shared, debated and discussed. Join our community telegram group, follow us on our socials, sign up for our weekly newsletter. Everything is in the description below. Be a member today also to get premium investment content. And if you love us and want to help us grow, definitely share the podcast with your friends and on your socials. Also, if you have any other interesting thoughts to share or know someone that you want to hear more from, reach out to us through hello at thefinancialcoconut.com. With that, have a great day ahead. Stay tuned next week. And always remember, personal finance can be chill, clear, sustainable for all. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Okay, so I hope today's episode was an interesting one for you. Um, I do think impulse spending is a very big problem, clearly, if not, I wouldn't do an episode. <laughs> and these are the ways I do it, right? And I want really urge you to try it. Just let me know if it works for you. If it works, right? Maybe we may be onto something, guys. I may be speaking on TED Talk. But anyway, okay, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Recently, some of you guys have been asking me to review some financial products, uh, some structured financial products out there. You know, whether is it from this bank, that financial company, blah, 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 and all that stuff. And I've been trying to look at them and trying to understand how to um, create a framework to evaluate them, right? So next week, I will share with you um, some main things that you should look out for when looking at them, which are actually not very different from what I've been sharing, but just in a structured manner, right? Because there are a lot of points that I share across the podcast, here a little bit, there a little bit, there a little bit, right? So I'm going to put them all together to help you have some sort of mental framework, right? some sort of process to evaluate all these structured financial products if you so choose to uh, put your money in these kind of products which are commonly known as unit trusts, mutual funds or you know, all sorts of whatever you know, portfolio out there right? which is usually sold by the banks or your financial uh, agents and uh, what have you not. Right? So that, that is uh, for next week. right? So thanks for asking. Keep them questions coming. Join our Telegram group. If you have any good questions, I will pick it up and make it into an episode, right? So just keep the questions coming. You never know what will hit. Later this week, we will hear about ESG investing with Samuel from Endowas, right? So that's going to be fun. I think ESG is becoming more and more of a thing, especially with millennials. So yeah, happy to have him on and we're going to talk more about it. And I will be transiting out of Chills with TFC. Um, we have a great host, Andrew, that join us and he will take over the Thursday Chills eventually. I do have some content recorded, so we're going to like finish releasing all that content and you're going to 
what's up to hear Andrew hosting the Chills with TFC session. And I will do one episode with him uh, to officially transit and share with you guys my thoughts uh, about transiting and all that stuff, right? So all the good stuff. Thanks for supporting the podcast. You guys are keeping us strong and, you know, um, yeah, a lot of people love us and I thank you for loving us. Take care. Bye.